This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. calls for aid and Brog shall answer Amandine welcome to Light the Beacons a Lotro podcast focusing on the mellifluous MMORPG Lord of the Rings Online as well as related topics in books, movies, gaming and the lore of Gerarar Tokian. This is episode number 20 and I'm your host Brag of the Lonely Mountain Wanderer and Dwarf of Ill Repute The beacons were dark again last week due to lack of elven fortitude, as you may have heard if you had observed my tweet at the time, and also partially due to (coughs) parent-teacher conferences. Um, Some of you may have heard of this quest before. It's a repeatable, available at levels K through 12. It's not very difficult, but it can be boring at times with nebulous rewards. But... As a guardian, you're obligated to run them periodically, and you can sometimes get some decent XP for your little soldiers, and hopefully level them up over time. But seeing as thou those are behind us, I am eager to return this week to share impressions of all the update 15 brouhaha. So be that as it may, let's light our second beacon. Ilenoch. All right, it's time for CRAP, Corrections, Retractions, and Apologies from last week. Uh, First of all, once again, my performance last week was flawless, containing absolutely no errors, although there might have been a rather large omission, namely the podcast. I would like to apologize to my elven brethren for the blame I continually place on them in my tweets. It grieves me deeply to make their deficiencies known so publicly. Uh, we did have some viewer comments that came in last week, though. friend of the show, Zinger, wrote in to say, Great job on the episode. My impression of Count Floyd was spot on. I've been working on Skirmisher of Middle-Earth a bit myself. Twelve total encounters left, and all at the mercy of the RNG Oive. I feel you, brother. Um, he also commented on the shortcut that I published in The Last Homely House. Uh, He says, as for your shortcut, I have indeed done that a couple times in the past until I found a method that is probably quicker and less twitchy, which I now use regularly, and if done correctly, will also result in no broken legs. Um, So he goes uh, on to describe two other techniques. One is to, uh, as you leave the door to Elrond's study, head over to the right and basically jump down onto the ramp itself, which has several kind of overhanging decorative arches. If you land on the arch safely, then you can pop down between the arches, also without breaking a leg. Or if you go all the way down to the left, um, there is a more difficult jump, which is straight off the edge and into the onto the ledge, which is um, parallel to the door, and then down from there. So um, he goes on to include a printout of his method showing the different uh, routes. But uh, suffice to say, you have several options, which may uh, help... Um, Assage any need you have for acrobatics, and also speed your travels through Rivendell. Um, great show again. Cheers. Thanks, Zinger, for writing in. I do appreciate that. And I also had not one, but two iTunes reviews this past week. That is a record. Let's take a look at what they had to say. Thodiljan of Elendilmere wrote in to say, Bragg is an excellent podcast host who provides a new and interesting show for the Lotro community. I enjoy the specific instance and quest details mentioned throughout each show, as well as his top ten lists. Grinds, anyone? Sponsor commercials are creative and funny, and as an avid Lotro player for over three years, it's impressive how many Lotro details he's able to recall and articulate. I look forward to learning something new during each show. Special props for mentioning the band Rush. Best band ever. In an early episode, keep up the great work. And, uh, yeah, 
there have been several Rush references uh, through the episodes, including, uh, I believe, at the end of one, a full... See, I'm justified by doing this because Rush has several connections to Middle-Earth, including the song Rivendell off of their album 2112. Look to the B-side for that uh, for that old classic, if those of you who didn't know. And uh, yes, uh, Guilty as Accused. Uh, as a dwarf, I've been to many shows. Um, second comment on iTunes. For me, this podcast uh, from Mista Helpful. For me, this podcast bounces between three and four stars within a given show. Bragg is interesting and a pleasure to listen to when he's going into depth about Lotro or related topics, but it's a very jokey, shtick-driven show. Not really my cup of tea, but solo podcasting is about following your own beacon. I hear you, brother. So I hope he keeps at it. Give it a listen and see what you think. So I must admit, I do tend to get a bit shticky now and then. Idle time is the dwarf's workshop and so forth. I do tend to ad-lib a bit much, and the window dressing on the podcast has increased over time. It's Grima's fault, really. But I must remember that at its core, like the game of Lotro itself, it's all about the content. So hopefully there will be content in each podcast that engages on some level. And in the meantime, I will treat to try to keep the feedback in mind. That is the best I can promise. Uh, now I'd like to sing a song about dwarven superiority taught me by my Uncle Gloin. Uh, just kidding. Short memory span of the dwarves. Focus, Bragg, focus. So in this week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in game this week, leading on to update 15, then delve directly into impressions there. We're going to review the early levels of the Bjornings, 1 through 30, and also reflect on our fledgling steps into central Gondor. Lastly, we will offend somebody somewhere, probably an elf. Uh, third beacon time. Vavoom. Nardal. So what have we been doing in game this week? Um, actually, before we talk about Lotro, I did want to comment briefly on the secret world. Those of you who listened to the podcast before know that Lotro was my first MMO and uh, obviously the one I have sunk my teeth into for the longest time. But I have dabbled briefly with uh, Star Trek Online, uh, Secret World, and DDO. And I, I do find a few things I like about each of them. Um, I do think that being as deep into Lotro as I am uh, somewhat uh, somewhat prevents me from getting that deep into another MMO. And I think, and until you fully immerse, you know, uh, until you fully immerse yourself in another MMO and understand all the systems and the the peculiarities and the details, you're probably not giving yourself a, fail, a fair chance to love it as much as you could. But I do find things I like about STO, uh, DDO, and Secret World in turn. And uh, occasionally for a change of pace, I'll log on and do a few quests just to see how things are and to be able to gain some perspective over the MMO general uh, genre in general. So after listening to a few podcasts out there about Halloween content that's available, I did go into the Secret World and try to take advantage of some of that content because... Being at somewhat a uh, horror MMO at its core, um, I've heard that it had some of the most creative and in-depth Halloween content out there. So I went to, to track down some of the quests that were in-game for Secret World for the fall season. And I was able to locate uh, my character is still trying to polish off the last areas of Kingsmith. And I did find a starter quest there leading to what has been described as the Cat God instance, which apparently is, is very fun. Uh, so I was able to complete the the early part of that quest, and as I did so, it led me on to uh, a new area to continue the story. And as it turns out, for those of you who play Secret World, you know that um, all the different worlds are connected through uh, this almost tree-like structure that you can glide along and uh, is meant for traveling around the world at record pace. kind of reminds me of The Ways from um, Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series. Uh, unfortunately, the next step in the quest led me out of Kingsmouth and into a destination on the ways which I could not locate. And it made me wonder if the Halloween content required me to be at a level where I had moved on to another area, and therefore I re couldn't really participate in the full extent of it. Um, I did a little bit of internet searching. I'll say I probably gave up pretty, pretty quickly. Was not able to find any level requirements for those quests. 
So I got a little bit confused about what I was supposed to do next. I tried to get back into Kingsmith and was not able to penetrate the the curtain that shelters me from that zone and could not figure out why I was not able to get into that zone, seeing as how I had just been there recently. Uh, so I searched around for a guardian of the ways, um, you know, or some of the conductors that are available. Uh, none of them had any instruction. Ran a big, uh, quick Google out there to try to find some basic instructions on how to navigate in there. Couldn't find anything really quickly for entry-level characters. So look, I know I'm a noob on Secret World, uh, but it seemed to me that they're not doing the newer players a service as far as helping them navigate easily around some of the areas. And if some of the festival content is gated for higher-level players, I do find that off-putting as well. I could be completely wrong on both counts. I'm sure someone who plays Secret World all the time will be able to answer my questions very quickly. But the fact that I couldn't find it quickly myself and spent maybe 15, 20 minutes messing around on the Internet, messing around with the controls and systems, trying to find online help in the game in order to be able to do it and could not, uh, I find that a failing in the game. So, um, and if their festival content is gated for higher level characters, I think that also is something that I've never experienced in, in Lotro or elsewhere. Uh, so I logged out of the game, and I don't know when I'm going to be logging back in. So what have I been doing in Lotro? Uh, Bragg has been my primary protagonist in Central Gondor, of course, but more about that later. Since it's been two weeks leading up to eight update 15, I continue to pursue my completionist deeding fetish. Uh, this time in the Lone Lands. And uh, I was able to finish off Slayer Deeds for Bog Guardians, Crabane, and the Trolls. They all felt my wrath. Those were the three remaining, so I finished off the Lone Lands zone for all deeds at this point. Uh, Bog Guardians are obviously easily found in the area of the Pools of Blood. I say easily, although that's somewhat of a misnomer. About half of them are stealthed, so if you're not a hunter that can track you are relegated to uh, running around the zone in circles hoping to aggravate some of the uh, some of the stealth mobs, which is kind of a pain. Um, so it's not easy deeding or slaying for Bog Guardians uh, based on that uh, bit of a pain. Uh, the Crabane I found typically uh, roving the hills uh, just to the south of that area. And obviously Trolls and Harlog uh, are easy to find, and that was perhaps one of the quickest ones Moving on to the Troll Shaws, I was able to conclude my Slayer Deed for Wolves, uh, which are most easily found in Droglad. Uh, Whites, which are found in the areas north of Thorinhad. And Crawlers, uh, which I found typically... I'm going to have to access the map because I can't remember the name. There's a little circle that you can use um, to both burn worms and crawlers. It's in the high moors, just opposite Talbrunen. And its name is Supplier. No, that's not it. Hang on. <laughs> ah, interesting. It's not highlighting on my map right now. So the name of it escapes me, but it's it's a little pool that goes in a circle. Um, it's west of Giant Valley, but east of Talbrunen. And uh, there are a number of crawlers there as well as, um, as well as worms, rock worms, and you can run in a circle and pursue both of those layer deeds at the same time. So the uh, creatures and the giants in Giant Valley all felt the bite of my axe. Uh, one thing I did want to note that I, I, I don't know if they increased it from what I remember, but as I was running around Giant Valley deeding giants, I did notice that there was a... A pretty fair concentration there of um, dwarf iron and platinum iron ore nodes, uh, more so than I'd seen any other place in the game. And actually, I, when I was grinding for metalsmiths or, or weaponsmiths in the past, uh, I've used other areas for grinding dwarf iron, but uh, if you need it, it is there in abundance. Um, easy place to pick it up, so do recommend going there if you want to grind those materials for your crafting. So I'll be continuing on. The next zone that I had not finished in my deed log was Even Dim, uh, where I actually have quite a few Slayer deeds left, surprisingly. Uh, I do remember spending a fair amount of time in Even Dim, so I was a little surprised, as many as I do. Probably at least six or seven to finish up there, so I'll be spending some time there shortly. But not for a while, uh, obviously. There's new content out with 
There's a new game afoot. I've seen quite a few people asking about these um, these same Slayer deeds that I was doing during during the time frame before Update 15 came out. And it occurs to me it's part of the cycles of Lotro. Uh, Pre-update, uh, the part-time PvPers head to the moors, and soloists head to their deed logs. And uh, that's not a bad way to spend time polishing off your character. So I uh, also did a few more skirmishes and knocked off a lieutenant I was missing, or I'm sorry, an encounter I was missing in, Thang in Protectors of Thanglehad. Only two more to go in that skirm. I think there's like nine or ten total, I believe. The encounters in Thanglehad are a little tricky. Um, there are three or four of them that you can wait on till the end of the skirmish uh, before you um, before you trigger the encounter with the boss and then run around and kill them. So those are easy. There are three you need to intercept as they uh, walk along the road. And if you miss them, they'll keep walking and you won't get a chance to finish those off. And then there's several that will run up and challenge you from down on the floor and you need to fire a ballista and hit hit the same target a second time with a ballista to trigger them and then they'll run up and try to uh, attack you in the castle uh, but you have to hit that ballista within a certain time limit so obviously with the with the rhythm of the protectors of Thanglehead skirmish <coughs> if you're running out into the road to aggro an encounter or or running up to a ballista uh, you may be missing a wave of mobs that's coming in um, you know, grabbing them can be missing a ballista on a wave of mobs, uh, and the ballista cuts them down typically to almost a third health. So um, that can cause an issue if you're fighting an encounter and get a full wave of mobs that have not been hit by ballista. And I've seen many people fail the skirmish that way. I've done it once or twice myself. Uh, no problems, though, obviously, with my current OP guard. I uh, haven't done anything with my Cappy this past uh, couple weeks, but on my Minstrel, I did manage to run a full run of Tier 1 Tower of Orthanc. So that means all four of the feeder instances, as well as the final encounter with Saruman on top of the Tower of Orthanc. So these, you know, a lot of people still consider this the, the last great raid cluster in Lotro. Uh, they are great fun, and even on Tier 1 at level 100, there's still a little danger involved if you don't mo know the mechanics or ignore them completely. You know, most of the fights are somewhat reduced to a tank and spank, but it's usually important to remember at least, you know, one core mechanic in each fight to get through them. Uh, for example, corruption removal on the fire and frost giants uh, in the final instance. If you don't continue to spam it, they will boot you across the room. Um, you will be crossed with grims from the other side that... Uh, uh, that becomes especially deadly if you don't have the right uh, if you don't have the right debuff on them, and it can get messy. Or one of my favorites, uh, the acid wing in the final fight, when the acid floods the room and you have to, everybody has to jump around in circles until it subsides. Um, and if you don't jump quickly enough, or if you jump into an area that's a bit of a trow and don't get out of it quickly enough, uh, you'll lose several people on your raid, as we did even at level 100. Uh, that was kind of a fun fight because with half the raid gone, the rest of the raid rallied and we were able to beat the boss anyway. Um, as we got to Saruman, a couple of uh, folks that were on the raid that were a bit immature we had to drop, unfortunately. I don't like doing that, uh, but they would not stop running ahead of the raid. They were kind of chatting nonsense in the chat, not taking the run seriously. Um, I was not leading the raid, so it wasn't my decision, but I agreed with it. Um, you know, beating the final boss in uh, on top of Isengard, uh, even on Tier 1, takes some discipline. And folks were running in and grabbing rings that weren't assigned to them before the fight starts, uh, which can be messy if it's not someone you want to be wielding a ring. So that's not a good idea. So we had to drop a few folks that were doing that, and um, but uh, we were able to fill, I think we ended up 10 manning it. Um, you know, in that fight, you have to get the you have to burn down the fake ceremonies in the right order to avoid some rather messy effect interactions from them. Uh, we did have a hiccup from one player that had never used the rings before. Uh, he was assigned a ring and was given instructions and was clicking on the wrong icon when it came to uh, challenging Saruman to repeat the fight. So we had to repeat wave one like three or four times <laughs> before he finally realized he was clicking on the wrong icon. Uh, but after that, it was pretty smooth sailing. Uh, generally speaking, I measure raid difficulty by how many different 
priorities you need to juggle or monitor simultaneously to be successful. And uh, I did do uh, did do um, Isengard on tier two at one point. It was one of the more difficult and complicated fights I've ever done in the game. But we had a good group, we had a good leader, and we got it done. Uh, I do remember that in that final sequence, um, you know, there's, I think it's five phases, and each one kind of has a slightly different priority, and then towards the end, they start to all happen at once. So there's eyes that you have to be aware of that appear over your character's head that you have to run away from to make sure they don't spread to other characters. There's puddles on the ground that do thousands of damage per second, so you must move very quickly and reorganize. Uh, there's the target priority that you have to be listening to from your boss to make sure you're burning down the right kinds of Saruman's early in the fight. Uh, there are knockback effects that if you don't have your back up to one of the doorways can knock you off the Tower of Isengard and take you out of the fight. And if you were one of the people that had borne one of the five rings, that fight is over and everyone has to jump so you can restart. And on top of all that, you have a job to do, whether it's tanking or healing or DPSing. Uh, so keeping track of those four or five different things is hard. Uh, I remember there's even in Tier 2 a fear debuff that if you don't get rid of right away, uh, kind of causes an explosion and destroys the party. Uh, but on Tier 1, it's a little bit easier than that. As long as we kept target priority and had a little bit of a situational awareness, we got through it. Uh, believe it or not, even on Tier 1, a cloak clasp dropped, and I had the second highest roll in the group. Sigh. Heavy sigh. I still believe this is one of the rarer item drops in Lotro at this point. Um, for the cosmetic, if nothing else, it's it's nice if you want one of the special cloaks. Um, obviously, it was the key to either the best necklace or cloak in the game for about at least 20 levels from level 75 to 95 or so and obviously I still still people still see people wearing the enhanced Dragot cloaks as cosmetics in the game uh, which you can also see on the wall in Layla's marketplace in Bree. Uh, what was nice even at a high level is I got lots of turbine points from clearing each of the instances and in the final tier one and uh, this was one of those instances where I stayed up maybe a bit later than I should on a quote-unquote school night to get it done <laughs> Uh, but it was worth it. If you haven't finished the raid before, um, Saruman gets really PO'd <laughs> when you destroy all of his rings and he knocks you back off the Tower of Isengard. Everybody at once tells you to get lost, basically. And the eagle swoop in and rescue. And there's a final cutscene where you're at the base of the tower recuperating. Uh, so this is my second tune to complete it uh, on Tier 1. And I've done one previously on Tier 2 as well, which was Brag. Uh, so always fun and a lot more accessible now that we're level 100. So I encourage you to, if, if you've been intimidated by it in the past, see if you can get a part of a level 100 run on your server. What else have I been doing leading up to update 15? Not much. Loremaster, Hunter, Burglar, RK, Warden, Nerp. My champ is ready to move on to the Troll Shaws uh, after completing the North Downs, but he is now on hiatus as we have higher priorities. What does that leave? Ah, the Bjorning. More about him later. But I did have one little mini rant. Uh, maybe I'll reply to this on the forum since it was posted by Freelorn. Uh, if you hadn't seen it, he was asking for details regarding little nagging annoyance bugs that have been bothering people in game that they might be able to fit into the next update. And uh, asked people to list their top ten things. Uh, the most common ones I saw, um, there were a lot out there, but the most common ones I saw, aside from major things, which I don't think he was look really interested in looking at, he's aware of those, but things I think like uh, running through puddles on your um, during mounted combat and being unhorsed, even if it's only hoof deep. And the second one I saw most frequently that I think they could address probably pretty easily is to have an option to click on an entire stack of rep items um, so that you don't have to click on, if you have 100 <laughs> from doing some lower level runs, you don't have to click on each one individually before continuing. Um, so the other thing that I would add to it, based on my recent experience leveling a Bjorning through the starter areas, is uh, first of all, oh, I only got six, six tasks available to me. I think all my, my 100 level tunes have at least 10 they can turn in per day. So they run out quick, but that's part of the design. I don't have any problem with that. But how about those task drop-off locations at the lower levels? Uh, the one in Bree, in the, around, the boar f in the, around the boar fountain, uh, you have to pick up the task on one side of the fountain all the way on the, the other side of the square. 
and run all the way over to Second Watch or Heath Straw uh, on the other side to drop it off. So if I have a stack of 60 of one item, I have to make six trips back and forth across the square. Or you Monty Pythons would know it, Monty Python fans would know it as marching up and down the square in order to turn in all six tasks. <laughs> and then uh, inside the Forsaken Inn, you pick up the tasks at the task board outside, but you have to turn them in inside to one of several in NPCs that are on the inside of the Forsaken Inn, which requires a loading screen every time you run back and forth. Uh, then in the Lone Lands. Next to the task board in Ostgaruth, you either have to turn them in at Frederick the Elder, which is across into the center of the area, or even Hannah the Strong, all the way at the base of the tower where Radagast is. Uh, it's extremely inefficient and kind of annoying, and you've noticed they fixed it at the upper levels. All the task drop-offs are now either on the board itself, which I don't like as much because sometimes you have to scroll back and forth between them, uh, or at the chest at the base of the, um, at the, base of the task board which I think is the most equitable solution. How hard would it be to go back and retrofit the lower level areas with task boards with drop-off chests like is now de rigueur? Not hard at all. So maybe I'll drop that one on Freelorn and see what he thinks. I think that is enough about what I've been doing in games since the rest of the podcast is focused on a similar subject. So let's move on to our fourth beacon. Aralas. Uh, quick swig of uh, Dwarven Ale and Juice boxes for you underage guys Okay uh, Adventures in Central Gondor I am working through the content currently in Ringlow Vale On my Guardian Brag And I'm currently in Dor and Urnil I would say I'm maybe halfway through the quests in that second zone, which makes me think I might be about halfway through the quests overall for the expansion pack itself. So, first impressions. And obviously I'll, I'll put a, a bit of an asterisk next to these in case my impressions change. But I think they got the feel of the place right. And to me that's extremely important as far as content is concerned. It is a landscape that feels different than any other that we've been in, and more so than Dol Amroth, feels like a coastline with coastal towns and inhabitants. Uh, and different is good. I like the variation. Uh, also, the zone is not just the threat of war, but the current presence of it. It's kind of captured with raiders and victims running across the landscape, towns ablaze, uh, roving threats everywhere, etc., the pace seems more frenetic, as it should, at this, at this intersection of the storyline. And there are lots of quest storylines that are intersecting as well amid the chaos of war. Uh, this is all good stuff. Uh, I did notice right away that there are new enemies in the landscape, thank goodness. That was something I was disappointed with in Western Gondor. There are new Corsair models available. Seems like those guys have quite a few variations available at this point. I even saw ship rats running around the landscape. More annoying than threatening, but again, different. Uh, one of the first things I noticed around the area in Ringlow Vale is new spider models. Um, so we've had spiders in the game for a long time, and there's been a lot of variations on the spider models. But the skins on these are some of the cooler ones I've seen. Uh, they've almost got a kind of a... A metallic reflective quality to them uh, in certain instances like the ones attacking the beacon uh, around ethering and I kind of like that effect of them kind of crawling all over the beacon I think that was um, kind of a neat setting in my own mind um, half trolls uh, again I don't want to go into the origins of the half trolls scary thought but um, the monsters themselves are different and refreshing. It's kind of a mix between an orc and a troll, and they look menacing. Very good. Roving threats. I uh, have not come across roving threats yet myself. As I understand it, they do move around the landscape in certain patterns or areas, much like a warband would, uh, but they also have a quests attached to them that you can unlock once you get through the content, and I have not seen those unlock for me as of yet. So, uh, 
there I do see calls in the chat in the world chat to gather together to try to beat back roving threats um, I have not yet experienced that so I don't know what the rewards are like I assume they're worthwhile since I do see people banding together to fight them uh, and uh, I understand that some of them can get up to two to three million in morale so sounds like a lot of heavy warband <laughs> uh, mounted combat circling that's going to have to go on there. Uh, hopefully there's some mechanics in there which uh, make them a bit more interesting. What else? Jjax is back. We knew that, right? Jjax attack. Uh, at least initially in the zone, he's uh, got a presence, so I think he's along for the ride. Hopefully we'll see him further along. Uh, I do like him as a character, so interested in seeing what they do with him. Right now, he's just kind of sitting back, laughing, drinking ale, and kind of enjoying the chaos as uh, someone with his colored background might. And best of all, there's lots more beacons out there to enjoy. Love me some beacons. Um, areas that stand out, uh, I th you know, I think they're all well done. Um, nothing spectacular. I do like the lighthouse area in... Um, in Dorn Air Ear Nil. That's not rolling off the tongue quite yet. I'm going to have to work on that one. Uh, Ringlow Vale, I do like, uh, I liked especially the Ruthless Dead areas of Dharma Tomb and Nimrond. Uh, I, de I saw them also featured on some folks' recent Twitter screenshots, so uh, other people appreciating the aesthetics there. The quests around the lumber camp east of Ethering are reminiscent of some of the recent companion directed group quests. Uh, that Lotro has kind of been gravitating to. Again, you know, I don't mind this. Anything that kind of changes from the base, you know, kill 10 rats types of quests, I think is interesting. Um, you know, in this case, all the quests that are granted through these that companion are kind of a visible, they're visible immediately and more centrally located. So they seem to have learned their lesson from the Isengard expansion, Graven, Gravenwood area. Uh, that was problematic for so many players. I do feel like the difficulty level in the area is increased, and I can feel it, uh, but my guard still has not died yet. <laughs> uh, my toughest, closest encounter, I barely managed to solo the Ruthless Dead Warband outside of Ethering, and uh, it was a good, fun fight. Uh, it's meant for a small fellowship, and I had to blow all my cooldowns and use a bunch of tricks, but was able to beat him, so that was, uh, that was fun. Um... You know, again, with the guard running into an area like the Ruthless Dead area or, you know, deep orc cave area, I can pretty much collect all the mobs in any area. Um, <laughs> and as long as they don't have a stun that hits me very early on in the process, um, and guards do have a turn the tables they can resort to. But there is a limit to how quickly you can press that if you've got, you know, maybe 25 or 30 guys beating on you. But having no problem with 20 mobs, um, you know, with the... Eight-man stun you can leverage after a sprint, and then putting stacking bleeds that peel healing back to you as you do your AOE skills. Uh, it's possible to burn down 20 Corsairs or 20 Ruthless Dead at a at a at a, uh, at a go. So uh, I always find it more interesting when I go through the content a second time with a little more squishy class. But right now I'm just hoping I can ride out the Guardian and that they won't nerf it anytime soon. Um. Okay, so I did run, I, I saw a renewed interest in some of the HD big battles. Um, initially after the, after the update, I think reflecting that there's some new rewards available out there for those. And uh, we did do a six, I did do a six-man deeping wall where I earned a gift of Rohan box at the end of the raid. So um, you know, I was asking people, only two people out of the party received that box, and I was asking folks if that was, if that was random or if that was intentional or if they only came if you got, you know, your first time you got like a platinum on a side quest, and there were a lot of different answers. No one knew exactly. It seemed to be that it seemed like it was a random drop chance, and I just got lucky. Um, it had a decent reward in it, as I recall, um, at least a teal essence and something else. So. That was fun. Uh, there are some issues with uh, big battle rewards, which hopefully have been addressed with the latest update, which came out yesterday. Uh, but I'll talk a little bit more about those later. Um, there are mixed reports. Well, I guess I can mention. Let's go into issues. So big battle rewards um, are an issue right now, or they were. 
there were mixed reports of folks getting level 95 items out of 100 run, which are basically useless. Um, you know, folks were saying if you open, if you, uh, if you open the Gift of Rohan outside the instance or inside the instance, it might make a difference. And, you know, it might depend on a number of different things. It's very inconsistent uh, out on the forums. Uh, lots of people with different experiences. But the upshot is hopefully the update on Monday has addressed this, um, including some of the side quests in big battles, which uh, were bugged and not able to be finished. Um, so hopefully it's been addressed at this point in time. There were also, I saw a lot of reports out there about graphic card problems interfacing with uh, different, DirectX, different DirectX versions, causing kind of like the screens to blink out or, or tab incessantly until you killed it and, and got back in. And I can understand how annoying that would be. Uh, I haven't experienced any such issues myself, so it seems to me it's a fairly limited cross-section of folks, you know, maybe depending on your DirectX version, depending on your video card, depending on whether you have your PC display setting to um, monitor as well as screen, if you've got dual displays going. I think all those things have played into the problems. And that's probably why they were not spotted during beta, is uh, you know one of the biggest problems in software testing is all the different plethora of environments out there that you need to test for on a PC. And I'm sure they have a lab at Turbine where they have a number of different setups to go through. But testing everything on every different setup <coughs> produces, um, yeah, that's a cough. Uh, Grime, edit that out, will you? Use a cough button on this thing. Jesus, guys, useless. So, um, you know, this point of diminishing returns and, and how many things you can test on so many different rigs, uh, you know, so I think it's reasonable that they might have missed this, um, you know, if it's only a small cross-section of players experiencing it. But since it is such a high-priority issue, I'm hoping that they get it corrected immediately. I did see that there are some suggestions out on the forums, which did work for some folks. So if you're experiencing the problem, I encourage you to go out there and check out some of the options. And, um, you know, hopefully that those can get resolved quickly. Uh, Mac users apparently continue to get short shrift uh, with Mac-specific errors, including Lotro store problems, which I believe have been corrected at this point. And I saw in the latest release notes there was a fix to the music system where a particular note on the clarinet was apparently uh, very offensive. No word, however, on the volume levels that are off for some of the instruments, which have so many folks... Um, disappointed with the new release. So I've heard a number of folks say, look, we told you there were bugs and it wasn't in an acceptable position to release. Why not yank it prior to go live? And all I can say is we're speculating on how easy that might be to do. And I say, well, it's easy. Don't put in the update. Keep the music system exactly as it was. But the audio controls of the game you know, might be interconnected with the changes that were made to the music system to enhance it. And, you know, yanking out that code with not enough time to regress and test the build uh, might have been problematic, right? So, you know, picture a scenario where they think they can fix it, they think they can fix it, then they run out of time. And pulling everything out doesn't leave them time to regress and test, you know, and, and avoid them having larger problems with the overall sound control of the release. So, you know, again, I'm speculating, but, you know, being in the IT and software business myself, I can picture a scenario where that's reasonable uh, and realistic. Uh, but given the impact on the RPG community, hopefully they're giving it top priority. Um, okay. As far as stuff that's missing, the six-man fellowship version of the last big battle, um, some glitches in that battle, I, I, I noticed I had people upset as well. Hopefully those are resolved at this point. And the LI imbuement, which, you know, was previously delayed and pushed off. So obviously I think we're feeling the effects of turbines, you know, reduced man force with, uh, some of the layoffs that have happened. Uh, but you know, I've heard people speculate, should the release have waited? What if they'd released the Bjorns and kept central Gondor for later? Would it give people something to do through the holidays? and get the final Central Gondor update to a point where uh, where it was much more polished and we're not experiencing some of these issues. Um, so I think that's a valid opinion to have. In my, in my own view, uh, I don't think the release should have waited because I'm enjoying Central Gondor. There's lots of stuff out there to do to help keep folks busy while they're working on some of the issues. 
you know, they need to do a better job of communicating some of the issues that are out there and the time frames they're trying to get them resolved in, which is something that's fallen by the wayside lately. Uh, but there is fun content that does work, that is fun to keep players busy. And it's important for it to come out before the holidays as things get busy and people get sucked away to other titles. Um, if you do remember the original plan for the year, they were going to try to get closer to a quarterly update schedule. And this release makes three updates for the year. So if they'd pushed it off to the new year, I think there would have been just as big a storm of people upset that we only got two major content updates before the end of the year, um, unless you consider the Bjorning in and of itself a content update. And since there are people that are not going to buy it and play it, I don't think that's fair to characterize it in that manner. So should the release have waited? I don't think so. I think they're making the best of the situation, and hopefully we'll have some faith that the updates in the weeks to come will continue to tweak things. And I think that's enough about Central Gondor for now. As the adventures continue, so will the commentary. Let's move on to our fifth beacon. Minrimon. A word from our sponsors now. This episode of Light the Beacons is brought to you by Barrow Bree. Barrow Bree is the answer to all of your problems. So next time you're rubber banding, have an extra helping to anchor yourself firmly to the landscape. Try Barrow Bree with your mac and cheese. It makes a hobbit fummy fill up with glee. What's a hobbit fummy and poison? And by the Sarah O'Cart Foundation for Slow-Moving Children, Sofumsumska. With your paid hag donation, Leisurely Evil is kindled. Thank you, sponsors. Appreciate your continued support of the podcast. Let's move on to Kalanhad. Ah, Kalanhad. An excellent beacon for me to present my impressions of the Bjorning. Well, I would say, in my opinion, it's an auspicious start. How auspicious? Well, the first thing I did when uh, the update came out, and by the way, I will pause momentarily to say that uh, Lotro's last few updates uh, have had four-hour outage windows announced and have usually been up in about half that time. So I think they learned their lesson and are giving themselves plenty of uh, leeway uh, for extra time, uh, but I do think most players would rather expect four hours of downtime and be given two than to be told two and find out it was four with a number of uh, messages following via Twitter saying, you know, we're investigating issues and hope the servers are up shortly. So kudos to Turbine for at least sticking to the schedule and being ahead of schedule for the last couple of releases. Uh, so the first thing I did upon logging in is to open up the Lotro store and purchase, uh, purchase the Bjorning class. And as I looked in my chat, I noticed a blue message from the shore saying, You have purchased the Warden class in the Lotro store. Enjoy. What? The Warden class? <laughs> okay, maybe it's not an auspicious start. Listen, I'm in software, <laughs> right? The first thing you do when you're starting a new program is see if there's one you can copy, right? And then you can uh, use that as a template for the new program. So I'm not surprised, being that the Warden class was the last one released in Lotro, that this error cropped up. However, as a programmer, again, the second thing you do after you get the template is you do a global search and replace of Warden for Bjorning. <laughs> it's pretty simple. So uh, that was, you know, <laughs> I think uh, a little bit worrisome when that was the first thing that I encountered. First of all, it was worrisome because I wanted to make sure I'd actually purchase the Bjorning <laughs> since I already had the Warden. As it turns out, that was the case, and it was a bit of a red herring. Okay, so first things first, the Vale of Anduin Starter Zone. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty limited, but it's pretty. Um, I'd give it a final grade of adequate. Um, you know, as far as the area is concerned, it's very nicely done. I loved just the idea of being in that area of the world, another area of Lotro that hadn't been seen before. The meadow is pretty. It's just kind of small, right? It serves its purpose, and that's about it. Uh, I did notice as part of the quests at one point when you're accompanying his sister, she points out over the horizon at the Karak. And the first thing that occurred to me is, would it have killed you to have Radagast as part of the instance take you top to the top of the Karak and say, you know, look, look west, young Bjorning. Here lies your adventure ahead, area door, you know, and kind of, points in that direction you get a beautiful sweeping view of the uh 
of you know the misty mountains in the distance and so forth. Just just standing on the Karak with Radagast would have been a special moment. So I understand that would have been a little bit more uh, world development that would have been needed just to provide that small vignette. But they did that pretty much with the Stone of Erek, right, in Gondor. And it's not wasted. Who knows? Maybe they'll end up uh, being able to build out that region in the future. So that was, I think, a little opportunity missed. All right. What else strikes me about uh, the Bjorning? First of all, fighting a bear is kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of like beating up your uncle. Second of all, the sec- next thing I've noticed is that I've acquired a strange compunction to pick up every drop of fine clover honey that I pass by in the landscape. Stuff I've been running by with every other character for years <laughs> since it became purchasable in with a you know, vendor supplier. Uh, now if I'm on my Bjorning, if I find a fi- drop of fine clover honey, I'm picking it up. And usually as I do, I have some kind of quote in my head where I'm going, maybe just a schmackerel of honey, Pooh Bear. Uh, which leads me to the next topic. Uh, the puns in chat are fun, but I think they're going to get old pretty quick. So <laughs> if you've been on, uh, you've probably heard some semblance of most of these. I can't bear it. It's unbearable. Bear with me. Bear down. I feel Bjorn again. Um, Bjorn to be wild. My hopes died a Bjorning. For goodness sake. <laughs> I even heard there was a kin on the server already named Chicago, which was a Bjorning-only kin. <laughs> the Chicago Bears, get it? Yeah, it's all funny. Okay. So listen, guys, um, it's fun for now, but it's getting old real quick. So let's all cub it out, okay? It's getting a bit rid- ridiculous, and there's nowhere to hide from the minute your new character is Bjorn until the day he hibernates or dies. So enjoy it while you can, and hopefully it'll die down quickly. Uh, next impression, Bjornings are a bit OP right now for their level. Um, I was able to do on-level fellowship quests and the like with my Bjorning. Uh, in redline mode, I would expect he'd be even a bit hardier in tanking. Uh, I did experiment briefly with the yellow line in the first GB run that I did, uh, which contained four Bjornings, a captain, and a runekeeper, uh, which was able to... Uh, race through that instance in fairly short order. Um, so I ran that in yellow line just to experiment with the grouping capabilities and the healing of the Bjorning, and he did have some pretty impactful heals uh, I was happy with. I was not the primary healer, but again, you know, I do enjoy support characters, and I see in groups wanting to, at this point, play the yellow line and the Bjorning. Uh, so right now I have yellow and red. The red line for soloing, obviously, DPS is typically uh, fastest for soloing. Uh, will I try the blue line? I'd like to say I'll try it at some point, but again, with my main character being a guardian, um, you know, I have less of a desire to tank as a Bjorning at this stage. Uh, so it was nice to run GB on level in the 20s. I think I, I, actually they ran a 25 level instance, and I was only 21, but I did just fine. And um, it was nice to unlock both areas of that in case I want to do Samborg in the future. So he's got his first key, his skull key. Uh, so based on the fact that he was a bit OP, you would expect he would make Undying no problem. And yes, I did, in fact, make Undying on my Bjorning. But only by the skin of my teeth. So most of you guys know that one moment out there that comes when you're leveling a new character, it's usually around level 18 or 19, where everything's been really easy and you get just a bit aggressive or have a bit of bad luck in maybe some of the first areas of the game that start to have pathers that are a bit more dangerous or maybe a respawn or you know a pather or someone knock you, knocks you back into a group you weren't expecting well i had that moment in the old forest um exploring the old forest in depth was fun something i hadn't done in a while and i was in the most dangerous part of the old forest the weaver's den when i came across the roving spider boss there i think your name is lenbernil at the same time that I found the uh, source of the unrest in the old forest, which is the, um, you know, the massive tree that's been corrupted. And uh, as Lembernell attacked and a number of her spiderlings attacked and the tree attacked me all at once. <laughs> and I was in big trouble. I was fighting and I was kiting and I was running away. And uh, I barely got out of there with my life. I think I had maybe, you know, 67 health at one point. 
uh, you know, one good swipe or spider bite would uh, would have done me in. Uh, but I preserved from the skin of my teeth, and I was very careful from then on in until I got uh, not taking on anything extreme, you know, extraneous until I got the uh, until I got the undying title. Of course, with title in hand, you get a bit more reckless. And a pathing bile spewer above the circle of blood was one too many as I fought a gaunt singer, and thus the dream died at level 27. Still, all in all, not bad. Um, the other thing I noticed is that the Bjorning has new rewards that are available in the game, which is good. Uh, but I saw the approach being one that I thought was rather equitable. Uh, the new Bjorning armor boxes that are available on low-level quests, at least they have been in the lowlands. So as you finish a quest, you'll have all the quest rewards you normally would uh, from past classes. And then they've stuck a solution on the bottom where you can get a Bjorn armor box. And when you open up the armor box, it gives you a choice between one of six items. So you can basically, as you go through quests, you can get each of the items in turn, depending on which, uh, you know, which one might replace the, the lower level item armor item that you might already have. So I thought this was rather clever because instead of creating a unique award for each and having to balance them across all the quests in the area to make sure, uh, you know, sometimes you'll get a shoulder, sometimes you'll get a head, sometimes you'll get a you know, piece of jewelry, sometimes you'll get a weapon. Um, by putting the armor box, they create one reward that has multiple solutions to it. Uh, the Bjorning might be getting a little advantage over regular tunes by having those options, but again, I think it was a time saver and it's convenient. Uh, for the Bjorning, so I think it was probably a good design decision. So let's hand out some kudos for the Bjorning class. First of all, making honey cakes is awesomeness. <laughs> I don't know how useless the skill. I don't know how useful this skill is going to be if the honey cakes don't level over time. But right now, it's a lot of fun to make honey cakes. I'm making honey cakes anywhere you want and uh, using them as food. They're not the mo most powerful food, but it's basically a you know, a double buff that you're putting on yourself whenever you eat one. Um, also, make sure to make at least uh, 10 a day so that you're working on your class deed quest for making honey cakes. You can earn the honey cake skill by doing the goblin racial deeds. Uh, so I did all three in the goblin hole runes and the midwater marshes by about level 25, and they were very quick and painless. Um, one was for the ability to make the honey cakes. Uh, one was for a club damage bonus, and the third one was for a port to your home. And when I clicked on the port, I was sent back to the Vale of Anjuin and Radagast Cabin. And I ran around there for a little bit, and I said, well, this is kind of useless since this area is not attached anywhere else on the map. Until, finally, I found um, on the side of the house my traditional class trainer. So I believe this is the only place in game where there is a Bjorning class trainer. And from a lore perspective, I know it's a little inconvenient, but from a lore perspective, it makes sense. And the fact that they give you a racial port to go back there in case you need to talk to the class trainer, I think is a convenient and tidy solution for respecting that lore. Why would there be a Bjorning class trainer in Mickle Delving? Um, you know, we're not supposed to be ranging the wide world, so he would have no students there, right? So um, finding the traditional class trainer there gives you visibility to the upcoming skills that are granted through leveling. And next to him, there's a horse that can take you swift travel to Bree. So in effect, it's a Bree port, which is, um, which is a nice solution as well. Maybe over time, they might enhance it if uh, they were connected to other game areas in the future. That might make sense, i.e. Uh, Rivendell, Mirkwood, Great River, or even someplace like Goblin Town in the Misty Mountains. That would be kind of fun. What if you're able to just appear in Gollum's Cave? <laughs> Um, another kudo, Relentless Maul, a skill I got at level 30, is a lot of fun. It's basically an AOA skill where he bear stands on his back legs and rakes people across for dealing damage toll on his path, and it's a rather fun animation. Although it is long, and I'm wondering if you get trapped there in that animation when you might need another skill. So I'll have to experiment with that when I just achieved level 30 yesterday in order to be prepared for the podcast, so... Uh, more feedback on that to come. So some gripes about the Bjorning class. There's still some tuning that needs to be done. For example, in the skill trees, uh, I earned my second set bonus in yellow line at level 25, 
after spending about 11 points in the tree, and it buffs the healing on my Relentless Maul skill. However, I don't earn that skill until level 30. So, five levels of uh, useless trait. Um, there's a skill available at level 29 that enhances your lumber to apply a knockdown to your lumber rush skill, uh, you know, which is your speed boost, which is great. Love speed boost. Love the idea of knocking an opponent down as I'm running at him, which is great. Except I don't have the rush skill yet. I'll have to go and look and find out when I'm supposed to be granted that. So, uh, so, so th there's some tuning that needs to go on with the trees to make sure that you're receiving things as you level that are going to be useful to you in the short term. Um, here's a big oops on my part. So, <laughs> one of the reasons that I did die outside of, uh, you know, in the uh, white area above the pools of blood in the Lone Lands is that I got stuck in my bear form. Um, so, one of the things I noticed is that when you expend all of your wrath, it takes away all your bear attack skills as it should. How often? It often takes several seconds before you change back into a man, and during that time, you basically have no skills available. So in the middle of a tough fight, that can be a long time. That's what caused my death outside of GA. I had ran out of wrath. I had no bear skills. I was about to turn back into a man, but it wasn't happening quick enough for me to get my heal off. Uh, it was only later on that I found out that the button that turns you into a bear can also be clicked again to turn you back into a man instantly. Oops. <laughs> this is part of the learning process of a new class. I wonder if anyone else ran into that problem before they figured that out, or perhaps hearing this for the first time realizing it like I did. Uh, I do believe in my defense that the task skill description is a little bit obtuse on that topic. Uh, the morphing effect uh, as you change from man to bear and bear back into a man. It's basically a poofy cloud of smoke. So I understand... You know, you don't want to put a lot of load on the server with the graphics and animations, but it's a little disappointing. I was kind of hoping that you would kind of slowly shape shift and you'd be able to see yourself morphing, uh, which would have been fun. Uh, the mark of Grimbjorn in the yellow line that you can put on somebody in order to uh, make them the, the target of additional healing, uh, at this point at least that's what it does, is cool looking. But... It's pretty ostentatious. It stands out. It I could see it becoming a little tedious to have that over either over your head or over someone else's head. It's distracting, and apparently it does not disappear at this point when when the UI is dismissed. If you want to take a photo, so I think um, either toning down the graphic or making a, a user interface option to. Um, to allow you to dismiss it or not to display it would be a good solution. All right, so let's take a quick moment to do a review of some of the Bjorning basic skills that are out there. So first of all, you have, as every class does, at least in the red line, some of your basic DPS uh, skills, which start at low level. Um, expose, slam, and slash. And uh, as most classes do, uh, first of all, those the first one exposed adds a negative 40% target mitigation. So that's the one I usually try to start my attacks with to get that um, target mitigation down immediately. Um, slam is usually my second one. It's got a little longer cooldown. Um, if you're hitting someone behind, you can get some healing out of it, which is uh, nice in groups, although in solo play doesn't come into effect very often, obviously. And then we've got Slash, which has a double attack, at least when you're dual wielding, and is also a, um, a Wrath Builder. And then uh, Biting Edge comes a few levels later, I think, uh, which has is your first major AoE skill. It's got five targets. So if I'm attacking multiple mobs, actually that's the first skill that I typically use. It also adds 15 to Wrath, and it has a larger cooldown, so I get it off quickly so that I can use it again as quickly as possible and build Wrath more quickly. Um, I was, uh, by, by the time you reach level 30, I think it's in the late 20s, you'll receive a bee swarm skill, uh, which is actually most useful because it's your first skill that has a uh, range, a uh, 20 meter range, and of course it's awesome just because you're sending bees at people. You, all you people that have been jealous of lore masters with bog guardians over the years, you know, can have your own bees. <coughs> So that does a dot um, damage over time to the mob as well as being, uh, you know, perhaps a good 
fight starter uh, from range since it's a 20 meter, 20 meter range. Uh, you've got your skin change skill, obviously, and then the number of skills that you can access in bear form. You've got uh, thrash, uh, which is kind of a basic, uh, basic DPS skill. The cool thing about it is that as you hit it repeatedly, uh, the damage will tear up uh, into three tiers, basically, and on tier three, uh, you'll do the highest level of damage. So one thing I realized quickly is that one of the class deeds for the Bjorning is to hit a target a number of times with Thrash Tier 3. And at the lower levels, because stuff dying is pretty quickly, you actually have to focus on it. Um, so if you want to burn down that class deed uh, to get those class trait points, when you get a higher level mob, make sure you're hitting Thrash at least three times on him so that you'll get a tick off of that class deed. Uh, second is a bash, uh, which is uh, basically a dot. Um, you've got vigilant roar, which uh, does a little lesser damage, but actually is a forced attack, which causes the opponent to look at you for about five seconds. Uh, so I imagine there'll be more taunt skills um, when you're in tanking line, but at least you have one in red line if it's helpful for you. And that is also um, the other range skill for the bear at this point, uh, 20 meters as well. So it can be used uh, as the range skill in bear form. Uh, B, B, bees are available in both forms, actually. So that's the first skill I think I noticed that's available in both forms. So helpful. There's a DPS skill in bear form called Execute, which you can only hit when a target has below 30% health. So it's like a finishing skill. But the one thing it does do is it, it wipes out all your remaining wrath. So you should only try to use that at the end of a fight. And then, of course, Relentless Maul, which for eight seconds will hit up to, uh, it says all enemies in front of you. And actually, the tooltip does not say how many how many opponents it hits. So I'll have to experiment with that and see what, uh, what that will do. And lastly, Grizzly Cry, which is basically a fear skill. Um, so fear skill is handy, definitely, soloing. Um, but uh, I did notice the fear was only about 8 seconds, so it's a little short. You have to keep an eye on it. Um, there's a skill which I hit uh, before every fight starts called Ferocious Roar, which basically uh, gives you plus 5 wrath every 2 seconds for 10 seconds, so it's a good wrath builder. And then your self-heal, which is Hearten, which um, when you're in yellow line also applies healing to your Mark of Grimbjorn target. Um, and lastly, Cleanse, which clears up to three debuff effects, Poison, Fear, Wound, and Disease uh, from, from yourself, and also says from the target, so you can take it off of others as well. So that looks like it's very near in power to the Loremaster um, lore skill uh, to cleanse wounds. So I've noticed, basically, you know, I hit my DPS builders as I hit my... Uh, my Ferocious Roar right away, which is the Wrath Builder over time skill. And I hit all my DPS builders until I generally have at least 75 to 100 Wrath before I switch over to Bear Form, so it'll last a little longer. Right before I switch over to Bear Form, I try to hit my Ferocious Roar and Hearten skill. So I've got a Heal over time and a Wrath Build over time going in Bear Form, because those two skills are not available to you once you're uh, changed over to a Bear. So I'm already developing, you know, a few playstyle traits here through repetition, through level 30. And it'll be interesting to see how that, uh, how that evolves over time. One thing I did notice is right now I only have three racial slots opened up. And I've got one for making honey cakes. Um, I've got one for a club damage bonus. And the last one I am using for... I think it's a there's a plus 20 fate skill saying you're a fateful race. Uh, so the fourth skill I have available is that port to Grimbjorn's Lodge, home. But one thing that's true now that never was before, since you don't need a bard to change out your racial skills, whenever I want to use that port, I just open up my skills panel and I sub in the port skill. And then I use the port and then I sub it right back because when I'm um, out in the field, I'd rather have the plus 20 fate. So that's something a little more flexible than we've ever had in the past. Okay, so that's uh, mostly about the redline skills for the Bjorning class. And maybe next time as I level a few more, I'll talk about uh, the, the yellow line, which I'll have a little more experience with in grouping since I've only used it the one time for the GB. Uh, I am enjoying, I'm looking forward to running, you know, I'm enjoying running Agamor again. Uh, I think it's a great zone. Um, 
you know, it's different from any place else in the Lone Lands. It's got a very haunting feeling to it. It's dangerous. You have to be on your toes. There's lots of ins and outs. <laughs> Grind my wipe my nose, will you? Ugh, good lad. Sorry about that, viewers. And, you know. So, um... Ogamore can be uh, can be deadly uh, when you're trying to burn down the gaunt protector groups for the skills in there. They can be tricky. Uh, they start out with three or four, depending on the grouping, and they can summon a fourth white right away. Um, you know, when all the guys are yellow, that's about all the bear can handle at this point, even though he is a little OP. So I'm looking forward to running some of the GA instances again. I believe they open up at level 32. Should be out there soon. And I have to say, replaying some of the early epic instances... Uh, such as the one where Radagast first escorts you through GA, makes some of the more recent ones seem a little less epic. You know, some of those old epic instances in Book 1 are, are really pretty sweeping in terms of the amount of content, the amount of foes, the twist in the story, the different narratives that go in there. I don't think they've been quite as complex of late, which is, which is too bad. Hopefully they'll return to some more in-depth epic book instances soon. Uh, but overall, again, enjoying the burning class so far. Glad I bought it. Glad I had the points saved up as a lifetime subscriber so I didn't have to spend money on it. Um, so I was happy to pick it up, and the experiment will continue. Uh, what will it be like to run as a bear in Moria? Ha, 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 ha. My berry echo will shout will echo up and down the corridors of Moria. And goodness gracious... The thought is epic enough, but it does bring us to Halotherian. I have run on long enough. It's time for Blessed Relief. That brings us to the end of a full score of episodes of Light the Beacons. Whew. I'd love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique about my terrible shtick. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's Bragg with two A's. The second A stands for Avarice. Facebook or Twitter at Bragson of Balan, my website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast, and I kindly request that you take the time to create an iTunes review if perchance you're so inclined. I very much appreciate the two of you who took the time to do so this past week. If your comments incite me to forgo my dwarven apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So I hope you either laughed at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before, or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your time this week in Western Gondor. This is Bragg, son of Balin, signing off. Baruke Kehazed. And remember, the next time you're running the Protectors of Thanglehead skirmish and forget that west is east and east is west, don't despair. Light the beacons. <laughs>